Section 44 of Frontier Humor and Verse, Prose and Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Frontier Humor and Verse, Prose and Picture by Palmer Cox. Dudley's Fight with Dr. Tweezer. Jim Dudley called again last night, and as usual, bored me with one of his yarns. I overshot myself by mentioning to him how low he stood in the estimation of Dr. Tweezer, for that brought down the following upon my head. Dr. Tweezer didn't speak very highly of me, eh? Well, tain't to be wondered at when you know how I wrought upon his feelings once. When a feller has to go around among his patients for more than two weeks with a beefsteak the size of a hearthrug tied to his face, as he did, ain't a gwine to hurt himself eulogizing the person who set him off, not much. Ever fight? Well, I reckon you'd think so if you had seen the doctor's yard arter we got through turning the chips over thar. He can fight, and squirm like a cat with her tail and tongs, that Dr. Tweezer can. You see, the doctor's place was alongside the Witter Gazette's, and she had a numerous assortment of hens, specimens from cold countries with feathers clear down to their toenails, and others from billin' hot districts with no feathers at all onto em, exceptin' a few downy substitutes fooling round the neck. They were continually a-gettin' to his garden and sprawlin' round in the soft beds thar. He was pooty mad over it, too, for he prided himself on raisin' early vegetables, and two or three times he cautioned her to look arter her poultry, or he'd Gin him a dose that would warm their little gizzards for him if he was any judge of drugs. The winter gazette was a plaguey stirring little woman, one that was allers willing to flounder ahead the best way she could, being myself somewhat interested in the lady. I used to generally chime in when she got into any difficulty. She soon told me what Dr. Tweezer said about the hens, so we sat in and poked them, and stuck feathers through their bills, and did all we could, except wringing their necks to keep him out of his garden. But hens are hens, you know, and the warm sand makes them feel mighty nice, I reckon. They still manage to get through the fence, or over it, and hold caucuses in the doctor's onion beds. One day, order I had been down talking politics with the boys thar. I was sitting on the widder's doorstep, smoking and mussing like, when I see her hens come a rustling home as the forty hawks were stirring em up. They pinned it straight for the water trough, and after taking about two dips into it, commenced the wildest gymnastic feat you ever see, clip-flopping around, standing on their heads and then on their tails. Finally they quieted down, and turning their feet up, lay thar dead as the chips around them. I more than suspected Dr. Tweezers had gentlemen dose of arsenic or some other mighty telling drug, so I just rise up quietly, took a look over into his yard, and sure enough, there he was, a staggering and squirming around, a holding of his sides, and even most a busting within hard laughter. Now this sort of upset me. Not that I cared so much about the widder's chickens, but I didn't like to see a feller so mighty tickled over a mean trick. So I went prancing around to the doctor's fire, pretty darn lively, pulling off my coat as I ran. Calculated I couldn't devote much time to stripping harder I got in thar. His back was towards me, and he never suspicioned I was a-coming but stooped over warping round and sort of unwittingly inviting the kick. It's a mighty funny business, a pizzin' and chickens, isn't it? I says, just that way. 
and at the same time I ginned him such a hoist that I sent him playing leapfrog more'n fifteen feet, and for a few moments I reckon he thought he had backed up against the battering ram. He was mighty cranky, though, and turned round quicker than a dog when his tail is trot on. Dudley, he hollered, you meddling ruffian, you've invoked the pest, so no look out for scabs. And with that he came at me like a clucking hen at a strange dog. I see I was in for a lively time, as the boy said when he upset the beehive. As it we went, ring and twist, duck and dodge, hop and catch it, round and round the yard like fighting turkeys. I could play around like a box and like a cooper round a barrel. But he was grizzly on a hug, and could kick and gouge like a Mississippian. He went for my right eye like an Irishman for a ballot box. I'll be blowed if I didn't think I'd have to go one eye on it ever afterwards. Several times you had it sticking out like a doorknob. Finally, while he was fumbling around, he accidentally slipped his finger into my mouth, and I shut down mighty fast now, I can tell you. Fair play, fair play, he hollered. No biting. Rats, says I, just that way. Twixt my teeth, all grist that comes to my mill, I reckon. And with that, I snapped it off at the second gent like a radish. Just then his wife, hearing an unusual rustling and scraping round the yard, came and run to the door to see what was up, woman-like, without inquiring into the particulars. She took sides to once and started with a dish of hot water, calculating to gin me with an alfired scalding. Luckily, she stumbled over the dog that was a scalping into the house to get out of harm's way and her own youngin that was crawling round the floor, munching dirt, got the hottest bath I'd ever experienced. That gave her something else to look harder, so the doctor and I had it out alone. Arter we had been at about fifteen minutes, we held a sort of informal truce, just arter a simultaneous exchange of compliments, which left the doctor laying across the grindstone and me astride the pump. It was the first chance I had of getting a fair look at him since we started in. I see he was punished mighty bad. When I was retiring from active service pooty fast, while his face generally looked as if he had been bobbing for pennies in a dish of tomato sauce. I reckon he wasn't aware he presented such an appearance, for says he, You're looking mighty bad, Dudley, and you might as well gin up now as any time, for you'll eventually have to holler. If I looked one half as bad as you do, doctor, I would holler, I answered. I generally have to look about this bad before my blood gets up a fightin' heat, he says determinedly. Wow, says I. I fed at every election for the last five years, and last fourth put the bully made of Terre Haute into a coal bunker, blind as a bat, and I calculate no dermed pill mixer is a-gwin to get away with me very bad. You'll have to be born again before you can well me, Dudley, he shouted. For I'll fight while there's enough blood left in me to lunch a stall-fed musketeer. We both suck through the same straw, then, doctor, says I. For I calculate to stick it with you like a poor man's plaster to a beggar's ribs, or I'll have the worth of the widder's chickens out on ye. And with that, I spit out his finger that I forgot all about, and the whole time had been chewing on like a piece of flag root. I was so burning mad. I always will think he would have gin up the fight then, if he hadn't seen me spit out the finger. He looked down at his maimed hand, and then at me, and the awful sight seemed to spur him on again. You cannibal varmint, he hollered, 
as he edged up to me. I'll make head cheese of ye. And with that he made a pass at me. So at it we went again, hotter than ever, hands up and heads down like fighting wasps, round and about, over the goose house and wheelbarrow spatter to kick, and down into the sink pool, roll at a roll. And the hair was a flying, and the teeth were a spinning. I got a left handed wipe on his chin, while his mouth was open, swarn, and I made his jaw snap like a wolf trap, and sent one of his molars a buzzing through the kitchen winter like a bullet from a Springfield musket. I never knew when a man could lose so much blood and stand up arter it, until I had that fight with Dr. Tweezer. The blood was a flying from him every which way, like the water from a sprinkling cart, yet he wouldn't holler. After a while he clinched and threwed me, but I managed to turn him, and commenced to shut off his supply of wind by twisting his necktie. But just as his tongue began to crop out promisingly, a couple of fellers driving by in a wagon seen us, and they allowed that I was one of the doctor's crazy patients. They got the better of him, so they came running in with a long rope, and set in to tie me right thar. The plaguey doctor turned and to help him do it, too. I cussed and hollered and kicked off both boots and broke two of my teeth a gritting of em. I was so consuming mad. But it was no go. I was a playin' a lone hand, with both bowers and the ace against me. The first thing I knew, they had me tied hand and foot, and heisted into their greasy old meat wagon with some dead hogs. Do lock up with him! shouted the doctor, just billing with rage. He's crazy as a cow with her horns knocked off. It took me thar, sure enough, and I stayed thar till midnight before the mistake was known. I was pooty well scratched up, but that Dr. Tweezer was the most horrid sight you ever did see. Arter that fight, he looked as though he had been the subject in a dissecting room, with at least a dozen medical students peeling and hacking off of him in the interest of science. The doctor allowed that the Eurysipilis would set in, seeing there were so many small veins busted in his face, so he painted it all over with scarlet iodine as a precautionary measure. He did look like the very old Nick, and no mistake. His face was fearfully puffed up, you see, and his nose was knocked clear away round to one side. His mouth in particular was a study that a feller couldn't get familiar with. It was a problem that the more you looked into, the more your ideas got confused. It was swelled and twisted and run around, out of all shape and proportion. He had the terriblest time you ever heard of getting his vittles into it, and fairly started down his throat. There he would sit at the table, exploring about for fully five minutes, striving to make the harbor, and when he couldn't fetch it, he would draw the spoon back and look at it a while, planning another expedition. He knew where his mouth ought to be, you see, and where it had been a few hours before and to be obliged to canvass the whole of his head to find it was something he wasn't accustomed to. It seemed as if he never would get through jabbing the spoon about his face, and when he would finally strike the opening, he would be around on one side of his head, so much so, in fact, that a person would think he was pouring the soup into his ear. He would be all hunkadory then during the remainder of that meal, but the next time he would come to the table, the same performance would have to be gone through with. He couldn't keep run of the thing now. It was here today, and somewhere else tomorrow, like a wrinkle in a shirt. The swelling kept shifting and undulating about continually, down in one place and up in another, all within an hour, and that would shove the mouth away down along the neck somewhere, 
were clear across the other side of the head, perhaps. The family would be sitting there eating no more than he was. They would be so busily engaged watching his singular maneuvering, and it would make him so roaring mad that he would send them all away from the table. He tried to eat by the aid of a small looking-glass. That didn't work any better than going it blind. When he saw how disfigured every feature was, his appetite would begin to get away from him pooty lively, and he would sling the glass into the corner and fall to denouncing me like a crazy bushwhacker. The yard, too, was a sight. Everything in it was painted and scratched and painted again. Old Mrs. Sharon, who was hours of smelling around about butchering time, on the lookout for a fresh morsel, was gwined by the doctors the next morning, and she noticed the blood and horror sticking to the chips and pump handle, and she allowed he had killed his spring pig, so she dropped in to ask him for the ears and a piece of the liver. The doctor thought she was running him on his late skirmish, and you never saw a man fly into such a passion in all your born days. He jumped up and pulled his pissin' pump out of a drawer, and says he, "'You faded remnant, you scallop, you greasy old cinder of an incendiary fire,' he continued, just that way. "'I'll gin ye just seven seconds to get out of my house, in, or I'll hoist the gizzard out of ye mighty quick.' Jemmy, Wasn't she scared, though? You never see a cat get from under a stove quicker when a pot boils over than she got out of that house. So Dr. Tweezer didn't speak very highly of me, eh? Well, now you kind of know the reason, don't you? End of Section 44 Read by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida